Welcome to episode 138 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, Jason, how are you doing? It's been two weeks since we've um, we've done a show. Yeah, it's been a while. In fact, we're starting, to, uh, we're starting to get some emails and comments. People are wondering what happened. Well, it's nice to be missed. Yeah, yeah. So you had to fly to the country for a week at last minute's notice, and uh, that's the primary reason we had to take a break this past week. That's right, because my father died. That's right. And sorry about it. Sorry about that. I, we've talked about that already, so yeah. probably don't want to spend too much of the podcast. But um, yeah, so um, I found out. Um, I guess uh, last last week. Um, what, what was it? it? Was like Friday, and I uh, found out on the Friday, and I found out just before a major presentation. Actually, so I was sitting there um, on the phone. And my boss came into me just before the major presentation and said, well, what are you doing? How come you're here? And I just said, oh, my dad's died. <laughs> and he was like, oh, no, that is just awful. So um, he's just just instantly kind of was cool about it. And then I got um, flights, flew out to Ireland and um, basically spent the week there. Uh, obviously didn't do a podcast because I was too cut up and, uh, you know, wouldn't have been able to, to string two sentences together. Right, right. How are you feeling now? Yeah, I'm feeling better about it. I mean, it's obviously it's obviously not a great thing to happen. But I'm feeling better about it. I, you know, I've reflected on it, and I think I've processed the the core things that I needed to process. You know, and you weren't, but you haven't been close to your dad for a long time, right? Yeah, I mean, we 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 used to be closer, but we kind of ha- haven't spoken. Um, I guess we spoke about maybe once every three months or once every two months. So I'd give him a call. He would never call me. I would call him. Right. Mm. That's actually more. That's actually more than I spoke with my dad i think when he my dad passed away about 12 years ago and i think we probably only talked like once every well at least when i was adult an adult you know living you know away from you know i grew up in atlanta when i was in california and chicago i mean I, I don't think we talked more than once or twice a year right right yeah well you know i'd go back for i'd go back for christmas or something you know and i'd see him once or twice over christmas and that's about it that can happen with a lot of uh, you know a lot of kids especially if you don't have like that close relationship with your dad but the thing about my dad was he was basically he kind of gradually got worse and worse as time went on. I mean, he he was an alcoholic, right? Right. So um, he was, you know, he was, I'd say for, during the last 30 years, he's gradually got worse. So he would, you know, like 30 years ago, he would have been like yeah, a couple of hours a day in the pub, you know? And then another 10 years, he'd have been four hours a day. And then at the end, he was like eight hours a day. And then he was just then gone too far where he couldn't even go into the pub kind of thing. He was just drinking at home, like like by the end of it. Right, and he pretty much destroyed his body. Because he died young and young. He was, what, 65, you said? 64. Oh, my God, that is so young to die from... I mean, what, did they, what was the actual well, basically, specific cause? I th- the specific cause was um, he screwed up his liver. There was something on his liver, and somehow he had a lot of fluid within his system and um, his lungs. Uh, he had too much fluid, and he couldn't breathe, and basically he drowned. Yeah, I think... Um, my dad had issues with that when he, because my dad had heart heart problems, and he, as a result of some of his heart problems, I think he ended up had, having fluid in his lungs, and that was an issue, you know, in the last year or two before he died. I think when you start having organ failure, like your liver stops functioning or your kidneys stop functioning, you know, it's like these other organs start failing too, or or they stop functioning very well, and you have all these kind of complications. The thing about my dad is it's difficult to process for me. It's hard to think about it because he was such a strange man. Like he was a larger than life character. Like he was, when he was young, he was incredibly good looking. He Mm -hmm. was, um, he sort of, 
you know what I've realized? The, cl- the closest person that I could mirror him with is Jim Morrison. That's the kind of guy he was. Right. So he was just this kind of guy who was just very good looking, very outrageous, and kind of larger than life. Super hard partying. Yeah, just just absolutely loved to party. And he could, he could have been a famous guy, but he was... I mean, he, he was right there in the set. I mean, he was hanging out with, um, the you know, the characters of the day. Like, he was friends with a guy called Murray Head, who was a, a pretty famous musician, and Cat uh, Stevens and all these guys. And um, But the thing is, I think he was just too much into partying to actually try, you know, and do any work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got to hit thing. that balance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he was, a, he was a good photographer. Um, he, he, um, I collected some things from his house, um, uh-huh. and the house was in awful state. That's another story. But um, I, I picked up some work, some of the work that he'd done maybe 30 years ago. And it, it, like what, what he used to specialize in is doing photography for, um, for products, for magazines. So like he'd take pictures of watches and shoes and maybe food and things like that. And he was, it was really technically excellent photography. Like you can tell that he really knew his stuff at that. Right, you know? right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to think about uh, when you look back at your parents and it's like, you know, you see, you, you see their flaws, right? I mean, once you become an adult, you start to understand their flaws. And, and, um, but then you also understand their strengths. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like you, get a little, you can get a little perspective on it. Although I notice the older I get, the more perspective I can get on it. It's hard to get a lot of perspective on it. I think when you're in your 20s, you're still a little too close. Yes. To, you know, to being a kid. It's like once you're, you know, um, I mean, I'm sure even when I'm older than I am now, I'll look back and go, I really understand because now I'm the age they were. <laughs> but, uh, you know, now now the age of 40, I, I definitely think I understand, uh, uh, you know, my father. Well, my, my father was a, like he was, he was what we would call in England, like a ducker and a diver and a, a wheeler and a dealer. Like he was a kind of a white uh, boy as well, right? <laughs> what they call in America straight up hustler yeah straight up hustler. i mean I, rem- I remember like when i was when i was i don't know 12 or something we he'd done this photographic shoot he did this job and he got paid a thousand you know a thousand pounds irish pounds and so we took it we took it to the bank he says come on son we're going to go to the bank we're going to deposit this so we deposited it in the bank and then the next day he said come on we're going to go and do something so we went to that bank and we withdrew the thousand and that was the bank of ireland and then we put that same thousand into the AIB, which is a different bank. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And the next day we came back and we took the same thousand out of that bank and put it into the Ulster Bank. So right. we've, this, we moved this same thousand from the three banks. And I said, Dad, wh- why do we keep moving this same thousand in and out? He said, that's cash flow, son. <laughs> how, old were you at the, how old were you at this? I was like 12 or something like that. So he was just trying to create an artificial cash flow going between all his different bank accounts. I'm moving the same money in and out. And it was before, you know, days of electronic banking. So none of those banks would know. But right. That would give you a little bit of an insight into the kind of hustler that he was. Right. Wow. Wow. Um, well, I, I'm, uh, I, I mean, it sort of shocked me that you're actually willing to talk about this on the show. I, I wasn't expecting this. You kind of threw me off there at the beginning. So. Oh, okay. But I think it's interesting. I mean, as, as long as you're comfortable talking about it. Yeah, so. yeah. Sure. I, I know it's, it's the thing about podcasts, which is, interesting it's like you, you know you and i are pretty open about everything actually very open about it but every once in a while you're, you're trying to figure out where the line is you know like what, what point am i going to not talk about certain things i mean i i don't really have a line yeah <laughs> talk about anything i think you're slightly more cautious about some things than i am you're 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 probably less cautious about like say like plugio and the money and that, that it's making or not making or whatever you're very transparent about that but personal things you're you have a little you're a little more cautious at times um 
Well, I was wondering, I mean, my dad, I was, I was thinking about this myself, you know, what should I reveal? But the thing is, my dad was just such a crazy character and it's almost like, I don't know, it just feels kind of okay, you know? <laughs> I don't see, I, you know, what's interesting about this is that I think that, um, I, I don't, I don't think people will, will look at you and go, oh, you know, your, your dad was a hustler. He was a crazy guy or he's an alcoholic and that reflects poorly on you. It's just you know, it, it's not you, right? I mean, no, you, no, I, oh, I understand so that, yeah. So, I, and, 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 you know, I think traditionally people, as, I don't know, and this is, I'm sure this is true in England, but in America, I think um, people tend to be very guarded about their family and the, and the, and the, and the, the problems with people in their family that they, they don't want to share it. And I, I don't sort of understand that, how, you know, is, is it, because it doesn't seem like it really matters. You know, so if your mom or your dad or your brother or sister or something, there are these things going on with them. I, I just, uh, I don't know what's, what's the point of being so guarded, especially if it's, they've already passed away. Well, that's, that's the thing. It does kind of feel different when, when they've passed. Like, I don't think I would have necessarily been quite so open before. But, but the other thing is I'm kind of like, in a sense, I've, I've got a renewed sense of pride in the kind of rock and roller that he was, you know? Like, well, yeah. Well, you can you can look back and say, okay, well, he he had his problems, but he had his his things about him made him interesting. He wasn't just a you know a, a boring person. <laughs> He's someone yeah. you have a story about or book about. Yeah, and he would he could be a character in a novel or something. Yeah, no, no. So he could totally be a character in a novel. I mean, because he got and I'll, and I'll just I'll just kind of say this and maybe maybe we'll we'll finish there. But he got he got worse and worse as life went on, um, and. Um, by the end of it, he, he, it was like, the, you know, we've talked about the power of gradualism. Right. Right. So, so like, there was a point where he kind of stopped working because of the alcoholism. Then he kind of got worse and worse and worse. And by the end of it, he was a lot like the show Hoarders. Have you ever seen that show? Yeah. Yep. So, you know, that the house, like, he, he was very stubborn. He wouldn't, let the, um, he wouldn't let the social welfare come in and help him and clean out his house. So the house got worse and worse. He wouldn't let anyone clean the house. And so then the house, he also loved animals. So the house got overrun with animals and then obviously animals would die in the house and, you know, basically treated, like basically it was feral. He was like, he ended up like a feral man and, wow. and his house was like a feral house. Wow. Well, that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's definitely a, his life could probably be a parable, you know, you, of, of when he's a young man and he has all this promise and he's sort of this exciting fun guy who's in the middle of all of the action in, in uh, I guess, London, right? He's probably basically yeah. living in London. And You saw the picture of him, didn't you? Yeah, I did. He was star. very good. He looked like a movie star. There's no question. He looked like a movie star. So I see what you're talking about. Um, and uh, you could see where that that often ends. <laughs> and yeah. um, that kind of lifestyle, if, if if it's not reined in and there's some, there's some people in their lives that help them, you know, pull out of that and say, okay, you got to, get a dial it back, <laughs> you, gotta, yeah. you know, focus on a career, focus on family. You can't, you know, but anyway, you know, and um, maybe we'll, maybe another show I'll talk about my father. He, he was, uh, like your father, he was quite the character. And, um, I remember the, uh, my, his uncle used to say called the rise and fall of Benny Saul was sort of like how he <laughs> described my dad. And, right. uh, um, he, uh, you know, he actually went to a jail, uh, twice 
to once wow. we got in life, once later in life. And uh, but we'll we'll save that for another. Sh- that's another. Sh- that's, a, that's a long story. <laughs> it's some interesting stuff. But uh, well, I don't I don't want to be a topper. But my dad was in jail probably like twenty times, <laughs> but not for not for. Not I'm talking for about doing... prison for like two yeah years. okay yeah yeah but that was, was thing. Yeah. yeah so this was like there was a lot of domestic kind of stuff um, going on there. But that that sounds wow. So how, for how many years? Uh, well, I think the first time I, I mean, I, you know, like a, a couple of years, I mean, the first time I think was, you know, he was in his twenties, was young. And the second time, um, was when, you know, what, 40 years later, um, when he was in his sixties, you know, you know, it was like white collar, you know, country club. So, you know, okay. Prison. So this is where you get a lot of your, um, you know, your kind of real thing about honesty like you're pretty because i want something i've noticed in in the relationship with you is you're very hooked on honesty right there's even even a white lie will freak you out yeah and that's I, don't, interesting. I don't like um i you know i've been burned by it a couple times people lied to me yeah. and um right. uh, you know again those are other stories that are too long to go into now but i don't so i don't uh yeah i don't i have like sort of almost like a zero tolerance for lying and cheating and deceiving and just you know i just um, you know, and, and it, especially, I guess, when uh, it's close to me or associated with me, I'm just like, I don't even, I don't want to even chance it. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be around it, and I don't want to, you know, yeah, I don't know. Um, well, what kind of an opening to a show was that? I mean, I don't even know what we can talk about that, that could. <laughs> I think we should just come do, from that first. I think 10 we minutes. should completely switch directions and start talking about <laughs> other stuff. So that's you know, well, that's texting, right? I mean, you know, you never know where yeah. things are going to start or where they're going to end. You know, yeah, but I, 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 you know, I just to finish it off, though, I'm, I'm really sorry, you know, about your dad. And uh, I really I appreciate you uh, sharing that. I think that's it's an interesting, uh, interesting story. And uh, yeah, maybe as time goes on, we'll we'll share a little bit more of the interesting stuff every now and again about, yeah. about both of both of them. Then that sounds interesting. Yeah, I guess. We have- oh, I've got to stop saying interesting. Yeah. Say interesting. Last show, I said it so many times. So you, you, you have to like deduct $1 from me for every time I say it. <laughs> well, you know, they, you get into these, um, these sort of ruts where you can't stop saying something. Um, yeah. And I, I do that at times too, for sure. So I, I, I'll, I'll listen back to one of our shows and I'm making notes and I'm just wincing. I'm like, come on. I mean, how many times am I going to do that? And, okay, Rube, just, just flag it when I say it so, so that I can be aware of it <laughs> sure um well you know what i was thinking about why that might have happened in the last show yeah. it is you didn't have topics so they were all my topics and i i don't we don't you and i don't have a tendency to share our, our topics before the show like when you go to like these other shows like uh listening to other shows like this week in tech with leo laporte or uh i don't know john c Dvorak shows they share all their topics right these are yeah they like, do they yeah they have a tendency they know they have some knowledge of what it's going to be. So when I just bring a topic up and I say, "Hey, Justin, I read this. This is this is what happened." You're like, "What are you going to say?" A lot of times, unless you know a lot about it already, you're kind of like, "Oh, that's interesting, right?" It kind of yeah, at this end. So I was sort of thinking maybe we should start sharing our topics beforehand. Huh. Well, we didn't do it this show. We did do it this show, but that will that might make it a little easier um, to get into some of them um, because. Mm-hmm. You, you, you'll give each other a chance to sort of get some background on it. Did you see that you were on the front page of Hacker News today via a blog post from Udi? Thanks to Udi, yeah. Um, so I didn't notice until you emailed me. So I, first thing I do in the morning after, you know, I guess just after showering and stuff, I sit down to eat my breakfast and I kind of check my email 
And uh, first thing I see is that email from you and with a screenshot of Hacker News. So, um, yeah, well, like yeah. right now it's still hanging on there. It's like it's at 21 points and at, at uh, number 27. So unless it gets a couple more votes up, it might fall off. But uh, as a result, Udi emailed me um, about the blog post. Yeah. And, oh, and why the title of it's called Creating Applications with Epic Night. And in, the, in this post, Udi talks about his experience, like what he's trying to build and what Epic Night does for him. And it was very positive. It was a very generous post. So, uh, you know, I very much appreciated it. And yeah. in this morning, he emailed me and says, uh, he's like, yeah, we've only had about a thousand people read it so far. And of that, only 95 people click through to Epic Night. And I checked my uh, signups, the database, and I said, well, I already have over 100 signups for the 95 click-throughs. So well, there you go. The, the conversion rate is greater than 100%. <laughs> <laughs> How's that even possible? I don't know. It's like, I like that, I like that number. Well, people must be tweeting it, or someone must have tweeted it, and then there's links going directly to you. Yeah, there must be something like that. So either they've, it's also, it or they've signed them, themselves up and maybe a friend up uh, who's, you know, um, might be, they think might be interested. I mean, who knows? Also great of uh, awesome of Udi to mention tech saying thank you so much. Yeah, that um, was very that right up the top there. Well, that was actually what I uh, when I um, invited the first five beta testers because there's five or six beta testers now. I think maybe yeah. five. Um, and I just said, hey, listen, you know, the one thing I ask, you know, in return for getting early access to this, and is if you could just, you know, at some point, please write like a a blog post about what you think of it or your experience building something or, or whatever. And so. Um, I, I wasn't expecting this early. I was sort of expecting that they would write them later, but you know, um, that was really uh, cool to see it. So you know, it was great. Um, but it, it worked, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's a huge. That's a that's a huge win. I mean, l- l- let's say that I even said, "Hey, I, I, I want to charge my early beta testers, even assuming they would be willing to pay," which I'm sure they wouldn't at this point. Um, this still would be. This is still worth more than that, right? Yeah. You know, no, no, it's great. Let's say I was charging $100 a month, you know, and he's paying through. I mean, you know, how much would it cost to get something on the front page and having hundreds of thousands of people see it and hundreds of people sign up for beta accounts? That's worth a lot. I think, I think it's great. I mean, it would be, it would be awesome if, if App Ignite was that little bit further along where people could, you know, other people could start up and start using it. Well, yeah. what's, the, what's your thoughts on that? <clears throat> well, um, yeah, so I just sent an email out to the beta testing group this morning. Um, I was prompted by uh, the the uh, the post from Odie just kind of uh, asking people to check it out, um, and I, I I as I told them is that you know having been out of town for a couple of weeks that put things that really slowed things down, and then um, really having gotten behind in my consulting work, um, yeah. I've been I mean I've just been working nonstop, kind of like you you know you you've been in New Hampshire you said you're working twelve hour days I, I've been working twelve hour days but I've been working a lot I've been working seven days a week. Um, and I've been working most of the days and in the evenings quite a bit after dinner, just, just on client work, just trying to get, get even. Well, it's great. I mean, it's good. It's the ATM run, right? So you're getting some cash in as well. Yeah. I mean, you just have to do it sometimes. I mean, so when you're, when you're an independent contractor, freelancer, however you want to describe it, you, um, you don't get paid vacation if you have a job. So if you take two weeks off, I mean, that's two weeks, you're just not making any money. So that is a problem. And then, um, not only that, but you're, um, you, so you have the cost of the trip. I think our cost to Europe was probably in total maybe something like 5000 
you know, right. with babysitting and for the kids to stay here and flights and hotels and everything. I mean, it's, it's expensive. So 5,000 minus, you know, two weeks of income. Um, and then, and then you get back and then, you know, the world is still moving forward. Right. I mean, my clients still need stuff done. I mean, nothing has happened with their projects in two weeks. So they're like, you know, we need your help. We got to get going. Uber is, you know, they're, they're, they have a lot of important stuff going on. In fact, um, you know, the, during, while I was gone, Curtis, who's the director of engineering, had to work on the dispatch server, which is, you know, really my code base, um, because he, they need to roll it out because the old one was dying. The, the old dispatch server was falling over. So, you know, so I get back and I just have to like jump into everything. It's kind of, you know. So did they roll it out? Yeah, they did. They rolled out the, um, the new dispatch server. And Jake Curtis said it was just in time because the last one like literally just fell over. I mean, it was dead. It just died. Wow. It just couldn't. It just had reached a point where it was uh, end of life. And uh, the new dispatch server, which is um, n- built on top of Node.js and Mongo, it's amazingly efficient. So it spikes at like one point eight percent. It's it's a great example of MVP. I mean, they 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 basically built something out. They pushed something together fast, and they got it out. And they scaled, and then they just swapped it out just at the right time. Well, when Uber started, um, and I didn't really know this story, but uh, I think uh, Curtis, Curtis, I think probably told me this is that it started the, with uh, Travis and a couple other guys who who thought what we'll do is we'll, we'll they'll buy a limo or buy a town car, you know, do like a timeshare thing with a town car. <laughs> so it, it, the, all the system had to do was be able to coordinate between the six guys and through their mobile phones their iPhones or whatever so it didn't have to scale it didn't have to do a thing amazing you know a little PHP and MySQL and uh, cron job and that was it, it worked fine um, but then that's like an Airbnb then yeah it just starts out some kind of silly little thing like they had this their own little problem where Airbnb started out where they were just they wanted to rent out uh, this airbed for a night or for, you know and uh yeah, and, and then I'm saying, hey, this actually kind of works. I wonder if we could do this at a little bigger scale. And then, and then they kept thinking of it in bigger terms. And the code base just kind of grew from where it started. And, uh, and that's, uh, then at a certain point, it was clear that it was just not going to scale very well. Now, it's funny that they had limos to share. What do you mean? Oh, well, they didn't have them. They were, I think they were going to lease one and, or buy one and then share it or something. I don't know the full story. I, know, I, was, just, I was just thinking because, like, you know, they, they were already successful enough and rich enough to have, you know, a few spare limos around. Well, yeah, well, yeah, well, they are. They, these are all guys who are like angel investors and stuff, right? These are these are all sort of Silicon, San Francisco or Silicon Valley guys who've, who've, who've made it. And, you know, parking is a nightmare in San Francisco. And so having a car and having to park it is a pain. So if you just have a car that's driving around picking up and dropping people off, that's kind of a convenience i guess so i think that's where the idea sprung from and then that's what the and that's where the code base originated so when uh travis asked me to come in and help them out and this was back in december and i said well i think the solution here is uh, node.js i mean i had built these high frequency trading apps you know systems or platforms i guess you'd call them and you know it was largely c plus plus and dot net or java or whatever and 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 you didn't like query a database every single time you had some information hit the system, right? It wasn't like you'd stick... Did, did you think... I mean, were you thinking C++ when they first spoke to you, or were you thinking Node.js? <laughs> no, no, because no, when, when I knew it was web, and, and I had been reading about Node, and I was like, you know, I mean, it, it, it didn't need to scale like a trading apps. I mean, it's not like every stock is going to have hundreds of updates per second, and you're going to be watching, you know, 
hundreds, if not thousands of stocks. So it didn't have to have that kind of scale. Um, so, but I, but I knew that if you kept the, uh, if you may, if you wrote it in such a way that the objects representing the trips and the drivers and the clients were, were just objects in, in memory and, um, you didn't have to hit a database to find out information. It would just, uh, it was just there, you know, as a continuously running program that that would, that would give you an order two orders of magnitude and improvement in performance. So, I mean, you could always do it where I guess you could try and say, well, we, we write like a traditional app where we have, you know, queries that hit a database, but those, the, those queries are cached and stuff. But I think that's a really um, kind of a messy way to solve that kind of a problem. Um, it's much well, and you wouldn't be running it at like a point one percent server load. No, you you probably wouldn't. I mean, I don't have a lot of experience with the the you know the you know using memcache and stuff, so I don't know how that stuff, how well that stuff works for something of that scale. But I I don't I don't think that's quite the right solution. I think you want to do what we ended up doing. And uh, it was funny when I first brought up the idea of using Node.js. I mean, I had never used it. I had just been reading about it. And but since I knew JavaScript really well, I just said, you know, I think this sounds right. And Travis was pretty skeptical because he had he had come down. They had rented an uh, uh a like a beach house for a week in Marina del Rey, which is down south of LA. And this is during Christmas break. And uh, it was just a few, Jordan and Curtis. So it was like two or three of them were down there. And he's like, hey, come down for a day or two, um, which for me is just like a 45-minute drive. And so I, I came down for a day, spent the day there. And I was like, all right, guys, I think we should do Node.js. And they're like, Travis was like, what? <laughs> what the hell's Node.js? <laughs> you know? And uh, Curtis had heard about Node.js and he he knew JavaScript pretty well and he was intrigued by the idea, but he was, he was more cautious than I was. He was a little like, you know, concerned that it maybe it wasn't ready. And, and I said, you know, I just think this is going to work. And this is how you do it. And we got the whiteboard out diagramming. I said, I just, I think this is, this is how it's going to work. And, um, Curtis was sort of, um, he, because he and I went through the code base that, that for that day, all day, the old code base, the old dispatch server, and it was such a, a ball of mud that we were just like, this is, you know, it's going to be so hard to work on. What we need to do is is rewrite this in Node.js. And I know there's always that concern about the you know, second system, which is that it never gets rewritten. It just never rolls out. You know the story about uh, the Netscape code base? You know, and things took longer than, than probably imagined to get out. But uh, when they did, I mean, things, the, the Uber dispatching system is just amazing i mean it, it it doesn't it doesn't seem to crash it seems to work really well um and and you can tell because all of the uh, from from the end users can ha- tell because now when they're smart for the drivers and the clients they they open up to look at cars or you know request a car or whatever i mean it's like instantaneous um you know response from the server there's no lag yeah so it's it's an amazing where it took like four or five seconds sometimes it's just like it's almost like it's running it, like it's not even communicating with the server. So um, the experience is very much improved. And of course, the code base is, 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 you know, because of the rewrite, it's really simple and clean. So our, our connection was really bad. And I've just moved, um, actually left the office and gone back to the hotel. And we're now going to continue the, the show from the hotel. So something that I wanted to um, talk to you about was mock-ups. And I, I've been, um, I think for the last couple of years, I've been... Um, going on about mock-ups and how cool they are and how I just think that everyone, rather than building anything, should just mock as much up as possible first. In fact, in Startup Guild, people keep on sending me messages saying, hey, will you check out this, this, this new thing that I've released, this new thing that I've built? And there, in fact, I don't think I've seen anyone since the, since the birth of Startup Guilds say, look, what do you think of this? And then throw up some mock-ups. So they've already put in the hard work before right. they've actually mocked it up. 
So we've recently started rocking up Enifu, and I think um, you're beginning to see the kind of power of that. Would I be right? Yeah, okay. Well, first of all, I think we should explain just a little bit more about what mock-ups are so that uh, anyone who's not familiar with the term wants sure. to know what we're talking about. So mock-ups are wire, wireframes, but yeah. rather than wireframing using something like, I don't know, what people would use, Photoshop or or whatever, or some people might even use HTML to try and wireframe. There are some tools out there, with Balsamic being the most well-known and probably the best um, mocking, mock-upping, <laughs> wireframing program. Yeah, it's a, it's a great mock-up tool, and, and I'll just kind of cut in there. So what, what Balsamic Mockups has is it has all sorts of pre-built widgets that you drag onto the page. And so, for example, if you're looking for a, a pull-down combo or you're looking for a webcam, or anything like that. It's already in the library, so you just drag it onto the page. Yeah, so like when you're doing list boxes and text boxes and labels and tab and like a tab thing, it's like it looks like it's hand drawn. And when we were screen sharing and doing it yesterday, um, you were doing it as fast as you could design anything. Um, it was like you're having to okay, I'm going to draw a box here. You would just pull it, grab it on, set the line width or whatever, set the font, drag it, and it was done. But it's pretty much it. as fast as we were talking, as fast as we were thinking. Oh, I yeah. was, I was yeah, creating was like, the screen. It was like real time, yeah. You know, layout, real time design. So, um, I was actually thinking about that too yesterday. So when we were, you called me yesterday, so we could work together on mocking up the whole. Um, I don't know what you call the user journey, where a client would contact an expert and try and set up a, a session, and the expert yeah. would respond and say you know, here's when I'm available and uh, how, these are how many hours you need to, you know, uh, reserve. And then you know, the whole back and forth and back and forth. And we'd kind of talked about it, but it was just, it was obviously complicated because there's a lot of back and forths and some of it would be, the e- would be uh, some of the communication would be via email or at least the notifications and some of it would be through the website. And we went through and uh, just bang, 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 knocked it out. And I don't know how many we did, 10 or 12 sc- screens? Yeah, about that. In like what an hour and a half, maybe. Yeah. So you you, you just said you were thinking about it. What, well, what I just we thought it was great. I thought it was really good because it it really helped us think through the process because it was sort of vague. Yeah. I mean, there was there's a lot of parts of this that are just in my head. Like I just get it. You know, I under I understand kind of what a profile should look like and how you search and how the system should work in general. Like it just is sort of to me a lot of it just seems kind of obvious the, how it should work, but the how the um, the user journeys are going to work and make it so that it's as simple as possible between the client and the expert. Um, I wasn't really sure how the, how, how we were going to do that. And I understood, and I understood from the beginning that that was going to be critically important because there's, we have to make this whole process really seamless. Otherwise if it's painful, people aren't going to do it. And I, I responded to a comment on our, on our, um, on the, I guess it was on the texting uh, blog. Um, about uh, the three problems that we need to solve with Anyfu, uh, the three core problems, and one being discovery. So you have to be able to discover and 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 identify an expert, the correct expert, easily. Mm-hmm. The second is you have to have trust. We have to solve solve the problem of trust. Like how can I trust that this this expert is going to be available and really help me, and it's going to be worth the money that I'm going to have to pay them, and Three, it has to be frictionless. I mean, it has to be really um, clean and, and, and simple and fast. It can't be this convoluted process. So I was a little concerned about that last part, the convoluted process when it came to payments. And so when we went through this, that, we had that 
work session yesterday and we marked up those pages that really came together for us. I, I was really impressed. I was also, by the way, beyond this mocking up, I was really impressed with how well we worked together. <laughs> well, we've done it before. Uh, I mean, what do you, do you mean in the sense that we just worked together and we weren't arguing and the stuff was just happening? Yeah, well, the disagreements were like, they were, they were more like brainstorming disagreements. Like, I don't know, we should call it this, we should call that, I probably should move this over here, or maybe that should be a separate screen. I mean, you know, we both had ideas and strong ideas, but we were both um, malleable in a sense when, when, when one of us said, okay, that's, that's not going to work for this reason. It was a quick like, yeah, you're right, that, that doesn't make sense. It was like, yeah. it just worked. I was always concerned about that because, um, you know, we, we'll disagree at stuff on the show and I'm like, well, how's that going to work? you know, when we're designing stuff, but I think, you know, I don't know. I was really happy because we, not only did I was, not only did the mock-ups come out and make complete sense and, and I thought really, they really work, but our process for creating was fast and efficient and, and, and fun. So well, I was, the impression was I have is I don't think that there's, I don't think there's any one thing that either of us would basically lie down on a sword for, right? You know, there's <laughs> nothing that right. we would totally say, I'm going to I'm going to actually shoot you if it, if I don't get it my way. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? But but you know some some of the stuff we kind of feel strongly about and then the other person just feels like a little less strongly so it does seem to work that way. Yeah, I think Yeah, I mean well, what do you think of the mockups as uh, how they came out? I thought they were really good and I think I I I think that um because I remember when we first started I said, "Look, I'd really like to mock up everything before we start doing stuff." And you were like, well, "I don't know. I don't think we should mock up everything. There's just no point." But I'm just hoping that you can see that from going through that process, um, that stuff starts to surface and you can, you know, you just get more done, stuff starts to surface. Yeah, no, I'm, I guess I'm a convert. Um, that, uh, that was, that was good process. I agree. I, <laughs> I would have to be a convert on that. You, that, the, 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 it was so, it was so, it was so quick. I mean, if it, if it had taken a lot of time, I might've been more resistant. Right. But the fact that it was so fast, um, and then it helped us solve, helped us to solve a lot of problems early you know we we really could walk through and go okay so the user's gonna we're gonna say this to the client and then he's gonna need to get this information across and then wait a minute how's the exit you mean we just thought through it instead of jumping ahead and creating data structures and models and you know writing a bunch of forms and the other thing is we we although we didn't get the wording exactly right we got the sentiment of the wording right so there were certain points where we said where we were talking about whether the user was going to top up their account or not. And, and we were saying, should, in the messaging, should we say that they've paid or should we say that they've topped up? And we realized, actually, the sentiment would be better to say that they've topped up because we don't want them to feel like they've spent the money at this stage because they haven't. They're going to have another chance to approve. And it was just kind of dealing with all of those little intricate um, things. Yeah, we got the, the, and I think it was important, too. The mock-ups allowed us to start thinking about that stuff early because the wording helped us understand the process a little bit. Like, what are we really trying to communicate? And sometimes that communication um, defined, like, whether some of the uh, information that we're trying to capture is on that screen or on another screen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and I think that would be great if we could get a chance to go through the other mock-ups in a similar format, even though it's screens that we already know, that we kind of already have our head wrapped around, just in case, you know, even the profile page or whatever, just kind of talk it through and brainstorm it. Yeah, well, I don't think any of them are quite there yet. I mean, I think um, because it, I, I, it's much better if you and I just work on this together as I saw the process. I mean, it's just exactly. we can just get it sorted out way quicker. Um, I mean, if you want to take a shot at some stuff by yourself, that's fine, but then we just kind of go back and change it. But this, this really helped us get all our ideas together at the same time. Yeah, because originally you, you asked me to go off and do mock-ups and I was producing them. 
You remember that? Well, and then, the reason I did is because we just couldn't find any time to work together. Well, I'm like, right, 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 screw right, it, right, just okay. go do them. Because, like, you know, we're not, I mean, if we can never find him to work together, then we're not going to make any progress. The only way I can yeah. make progress is if, you know, somehow you do it on yourself. But I also found that it's like, well, see, the problem with that is, is that it's so early that we're sort of forming the idea. Right. Yeah. It's just very much in the formation of like, what are we trying to do? What is this? What should this process be? What should the experience be? And if you go off and create 20 mock-ups and, and there's a lot of things that I'm seeing that I think you might have missed or I think you're expressing quite the wrong way, then it might, then you might have done a lot of work that was unnecessary because, you know, you didn't get the, that input from me. And then either I have to come back and say, Hey, all this is wrong, which I don't, I don't like doing that because I don't want to offend you. But it, and then of course you waste a lot of time. It's just, it's more painful. You know, this, by the way, it's probably my, one of my favorite things to do. And it's something that I want any food to exist for this basically one-on-one screen sharing and mocking up at the same time, at, you know, mocking up as you go along as fast as you can think is so it's just fun. It's just fun. It's great. You sort through problems and it's also really, really high value. This is something that I would love to put myself on any food for and charge a truckload of money. <laughs> a premium rate. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it is high value. Um, I think that's when your, your expertise is not just being able to mock up, it's being able to have an appreciation for user experience and uh, yeah, what's, how, how, how a process should work, I guess. Oh, thank you. That was, well, that was cool. I, I was really, um, that was fun. I'm excited. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish up the remaining screens we have to do and jump on the other ones. I mean, hopefully we'll get a little, a little time this weekend to do that. Um, okay, so, so just, just changing subjects. Um, so Rory Walker um, gave, us a sh- gave us a shout out, gave us some link gloves. So we did have, we've got a few link gloves that we haven't actually mentioned. Um, cool. So Rory Walker, he says, um, hey guys, I'm saving the new episode for my long journey tomorrow. I'm from Jamaica. I'm traveling from Montego Bay to Kingston tomorrow. I added your tech podcast link to my blog, RoryWalker.com. Would love to get a shout out on the show. Well, here's that shout out. Oh, he's thank currently you, working. <laughs> yeah, thank you. He's currently working on Vacay Tracker. Now, let me just look okay. at the domain for this. V-A-C-A-Y-T-R-A-C-K-E-R.com. Vacay Tracker. So, what does it do? Um, that's good. All of a sudden, this has turned into a la critique. Vacay Tracker, how we help you. Make your employees happy. Email notifications of employee milestones. Save time. One-click vacation and sick day report generation. Avoid excess vacation days. Yeah, it kind of it kind of reminds me of Expensify, which is um, where if you know you, when you when you're trying to get reimbursed for expen- business expenses as an employee, yeah, sometimes that can be a painful process, and that's what Expensify. Um, sort of facilitates. Expensify actually is that Curtis, who I work with at uh, Uber. Um, yeah. That's that's where he was like he worked before Uber and he built hmm. essentially built Expensify, or at least most of the uh, backend infrastructure. Um, and it's sort of similar. It's sort of a similar concept, and it's just, although it's more focusing on I guess vacation stuff as opposed to just expenses in general. Well, thank you very much, Rory. Awesome. Um, so also want to thank um, Tyler Nichols who donated ten dollars for a shout out. He's actually got a reoccurring a reoccurring uh, monthly donation going on. So, uh, oh once wow! A month, once a month, ten dollars goes into our account. But he's a time. member. Yeah, he's, I guess he's. he's a, yeah. We, we got to come up with it. There, this he's a member of Start of TechZing. He's a producer. <laughs> I guess he's a producer or, or a premium subscriber or something. I don't know. We but anyway, up, we got to come up with something. <laughs> Tyler, thank you so much for that. Um, so then, also, and Andrus uh, Pataki um, basically has sent me now two awesome emails talking about marketing Plugio. And um, the, the last one he sent is just just really, really good. Just just a, 
like basically links of people who I should be speaking to, um, strategies that I should take, and I'm just going to follow that up. So thank you very much, Andres. Um, well, let's see if we've got anyone else. Well, um, um, Corey, um, let's see, where's my notes here? Did uh, the birdie? You oh, know, yeah, yeah. Talk, talk about that. Well, okay, so the birdie is, I guess, uh, it's you know, the birdie.com. I'm going to bring it up so I can see it again. Um, it's it's essentially a site where you can track where your personal expenses went. Mm. Um, so, like, you can say, okay, well, I spent $10 on this and $30 on that and $40 on this. And then it has, like, a calendar display, and you can just sort of track you know, exactly where all your money went and you can look at a graph and, uh, look by day. And, um, so he had, uh, he had, he had asked that, uh, we do a little mini critique on it. So you want to do a little mini critique? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm glad to say I'm impressed. I like, I love the, I just love the simplicity of it. Um, it like the key messaging up the top, make better money decisions with the birdie, a simple personal finance tracker you'll actually use every day. So that's, and I, I like the little graphic of it showing it. I mean, that, that would at least, if I was in the mind to, to kind of get into this, that would definitely intrigue me. And I would be, I would be registering. There's a big green register for free button. Um, there's just a tiny little um, picture of a bird, which is <laughs> like a cute little cartoon character. A little bit what we were talking about for any food, you know, so you can mm-hmm. have like a serious looking site with a little cartoon. Right. And um, yeah, this like this Reddit, good. Hipmunk and MailChimp mm. and things like that. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I you know, I don't know much about you know the ma- demand for something. The demand could be significant or not. Um, but I know. But what was funny is that Udi, um, the app that he was building using Appignite, was a personal finance tracker. It's, right. Yeah, that's true. So he was just building. He was building this kind of thing, but just for himself. He wasn't trying to build a public app. And so Udi actually commented on the blog, um, you know, with some feedback on um, on on Birdie and. You know, he basically said he really liked the calendar stuff and, you know, everything like that. And he just was basically saying, yeah, keep at it. You know, keep working on the UI and everything because it's, you know, good. So, yeah, cool. Uh, okay, my one thought is that um, the microtext um, on the left-hand side of the page there, the, the, it's very wordy. If, if he could somehow do something that was a font size bigger or two font sizes bigger, closer to the, closer to the second font size just after the title um, so that you could just get, it was just easier to focus in, maybe just make that just two sentences. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's always a struggle to get people to read. <laughs> people yeah. don't tend to read a lot, yeah. so you know you got to make your 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 copy really tight and short because people their eyes are just going to glaze over it. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I would agree. You'd probably if if you can say the same thing in like a half the words you should do yep. it <laughs> same thing in and, half the words and twice the font size right because people just people don't read on the web they just kind of their eyes glance over. they look at pictures their eyes just kind of scan over everything and then they just move on so if you make them read two or three sentences rather than just having like five words explain it then you've you, you're probably going to lose a lot of people so that's probably true thanks a lot for that um just see quickly if there was anyone else um what do we have going on here brad robinson as requested sending a reminder about showcase lane yeah, so um, he was uh, Brad Robinson. He put a uh, he's got a uh, I guess texting up on Showcase Lane. Oh, okay. So he's done. He's on the link. Love. Advertisement, right? Okay, fantastic. So he is an, his is more of a, a just a link. He actually has a uh, an ad like a blank. So if you look at Showcase Lane text, see we look on the right hand side. We actually have us on the right hand of popular sites that are hot right now. Okay, awesome. So that's showcaselane.com. 
Thank you very much, Brad, for that. Um, sorry for not knowing what it was about when I first looked at the email. I think that was like somewhere further down in the email chain. We've also had some people review us on um, on iTunes. Oh, have uh, we? Yeah, we have. Um, I, I, I don't. I'm not looking at them right now, but I know that some people had mentioned that. Um, oh, so let, me, let, me, let me just say one thing about Showcase Lane. This looks actually very cool. So essentially, what it is is that if you want to put your site up and get feedback on it, so he says that the the, the sort of um, the I don't know, the, not the tagline, but the exp- explanation is a new way to show off your site, get great feedback, browse for inspiration, and build your own visual bookmark gallery. So um, you'll see, you know, just, I guess, screenshots of all these different um, sites. And uh, I guess people can view, once you join in, you can read the comments on the, you know, on the, or get feedback on the design. So um, for some of people in Startup Guild, for instance, who are saying, hey, check this out, um, this is another place that they could maybe get some feedback, especially from more uh, designer types than just sort of uh, startup people. Hmm. Right, because I think a lot of the people in Startup Guild are, are less designers and more uh, technical founders. Right, yeah, no, that's true. And if you want to get... Uh, get a, but then again, <laughs> I guess it really depends on where you are in your design because I think of the people who are, who are showing stuff on Startup Guild, I mean, it's just like, hey, I'm not a designer. I roughed this up. This is basically what it will, will do. So they're, <laughs> they're maybe not to the point where they want a designer to critique it because they know it's not at that level. You know? Yeah, but uh, showcase lane is pretty cool. I think so, um, yeah. To to review us on iTunes, and I feel kind of bad about asking for this because I know that our last three episodes, because I've been away in New Hampshire uh, because of this whole thing of going to Ireland, and our episodes have been pretty thin on the ground compared to our usual shows. And also, we've been skipping out the interviews. But anyway, just in case you did want to review us on iTunes, uh, because we will be getting off uh, once it hits the twenty third. Um, we will then be getting back into the swing of things after the 23rd of July. Um, just go to textinglive.com forward slash iTunes. And then that gives you instructions on how to actually give us a review. So, so our, our plan is for the next couple of weeks is we're, we're not going to do weekday shows. We're going to just do a weekend show. And then after you get back, we're going to get back on schedule and try and do two a week again. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how we could do two a week over the, for the next two weeks. No, that's fine. I think it's fine. Well, it's summer, you know, I mean... I think it's I think it's easy to go on that. We're on the summer, the light summer schedule, <laughs> right? Right. But I do miss I do miss interviewing people. So and and it wasn't um, what a few weeks ago or a month ago when I asked for suggestions on who I should interview on Startup Guild, and I got all of these interesting people. Um, and we that, also I, have three people to interview from um, from MicroConf. Oh yeah, like Hit and Shah and Ramit and um, Noah Kagan and yeah. Now, now talking about Mike Microconf, did you listen to the uh, latest episode of Startups for the Rest of Us? I think I'm one behind. I think I haven't listened. I don't think I've listened to that last one. It was a great show because, um, I mean, just just from from my personal pride and ego point of view, like Texing was called out quite a lot, and that was really fantastic. You know, really, um, Texing was called out, and then I was called out as well as being the kind of the 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 newcomer like the one to watch so that was great <laughs> <laughs> you're the you're the startup founders over 40 up and coming <laughs> yeah the over 40 you're the you're the late bloomer crowd <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that that's a good crowd to be in yeah uh, you know <laughs> founders over 40 to watch that's funny <laughs> yeah um but no it was it was just it was just really nice and it was good to hear them talk about they they go through their whole experience of microconf and and talk about the frustration, and they still haven't made up their mind about whether they're going to do it again next year or not. Um, but yeah, some, some yeah, great insight well, into they, the planning. I, I, they, they did talk about that in a previous episode about how much work it was. Putting a conference is a lot. Yeah. A lot of work, a lot of time. So, yeah. Well, hey, so let's, um, let's talk Plugio. 
Oh, well, here's the thing. Okay, so we so we haven't really spoken for how long was it? Two weeks. Yeah. But to be honest, like my mind has been pretty consumed with what I've been doing in Ireland. So regarding Plugio, it's just been I've been dealing with some support issues that have come in. There's one crazy one dealing with Japanese characters that I don't understand what the hell's going on. So basically, um, for for whatever reason, when you go over a certain number of Japanese characters, when it tries to insert it into the database on the live server, it just ends up as a null insert. But on my local machine, which has the same table type, the same character encoding, it works fine. So that's just a weird thing. I don't know what that is. Um, But I've been dealing with other customer requests, uh, sorry, other customer uh, support um, but haven't really been focusing on getting new customers. And funny, I've got the same the same deal again. Like it's it's kind of gone down at the beginning of this month, just like it did last month. So I don't know what's going on. No theory on that. Huh? Well, well, it was Fourth of July weekend. I guess yeah, Fourth of I mean, July weekend. Like a, you know, people are out of town and and they're not thinking about work. So I mean, you're you're going to lose like the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and it was on a Monday, and then people are just getting back on Tuesdays. You you, you kind of lost like four or five days there. Yeah, one thing I will say is I've had very few, um, I mean very few refund requests since I started this thing in May. So out of, uh, let's say... Started 40, what thing in May? To, oh, <laughs> I, I guess I'm assuming that everyone's been listening. So the 60-day money back versus a 30-day free trial. Yeah, so you people, the way that the 60-day money back is to sign up, you, you don't get a free trial. You sign up, but you can, you have up to 60 days to get a refund. Yeah. Which, and, is, I mean, which was yeah. inspired, which is something you learned from our interview with Mike Slowinski of Nosby. Yeah. Now, very few. I mean, I, I would say five, maybe five refunds out of, let's say, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, out of 90 signups. 19? 90. 90? Yeah. That's, that's good. Five. Wow. Which is what he said. He said it was approximately 5%. Yeah, I just don't think people like to ask for their money back in general. It's you feel kind of chintzy, you know. You feel kind of it's like it's like it's like if you go at a restaurant and you complain about service. It's like even if you're unhappy, you're like, eh. <laughs> you know, there's just a party that just doesn't. Uh, I'm just no, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it, right? So is that bad? Should the wrong, I feel guilty? Me, not necessarily. I mean, I just think well, in a restaurant, right? If like let's say that they, you know, you ask for your steak to be rare and they give it well done, and you know. Sometimes you're like, ah, screw it, whatever. You know, it's just like you yeah. don't want to make a big deal out of it. And um, I, I think uh, this is there's probably a similar thing. People asking for any money back is sort of like complaining. <laughs> it's actually no. really funny because I know I know a couple who who that that's their thing, right? So they'll go into a restaurant and they will actually just kind of if there's the slightest thing, they will make a big noise about it, and they'll always get it comped. They'll get everything comped. Sound like wonderful people. <laughs> I know it's not I'm not I'm not recommending it I'm just saying it's it, it just kind of shows you right that you can basically do that well that's what they call like um in game theory right everybody else just cooperates everybody agrees that they're generally going to try and be nice to one another and play by the rules and treat each other respect but then there's people who can get away with just being assholes right and they can right. kind of get away with it right you can kind of mm-hmm. defect with everyone else's cooperate and um in a large to a large degree, you can you can get away with it, and that and that, that's those are what you call sort of parasitic relationships. People can be parasitic, and in 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 society in general, it doesn't want to clamp down too much because if you clamp down on the on the small, the very small percentage of people who are being parasitic, you make life suck worse for everybody else. It's kind of like yeah, yeah, 
you know, so um, it's like, you know, the overreaction to the, the fear of terrorism, right? So everybody's getting patted down and everybody in their, you know, internet traffic sniffed and all this stuff because there's a few people in some caves in Afghanistan who might want to do something, you know? And so it makes life everybody, and so everything sucks, you know, worse because of that. Yeah, I mean, they, they've, I mean, I've actually seen them get entire, so I, I should mention they're not like really close friends of mine, they're, but they're just a couple that I know. Um, I've seen them. So. I've seen them <laughs> get. Do that. Um, if you would do that, I would be like, I, I probably would not want to hang out with them. I would not. I've, I've, I've seen them get um, entire hotel stays for free, like, like week long vacations. You yeah, know? I don't like them already. I already. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to introduce you to them. I mean, I see them maybe once every know four them. years, kind of thing. <laughs> I don't want to know those people. <laughs> you know, so I always tell people like who friends. You know, there's there's always people I know who seem to. They, they they have problems with other people and they're like, oh, you know, th- I don't know what to do about it. And I'm like, well, when you run into people like that, you don't deal with them, right? I mean, you just get away from them. The world's full of a ton of people and you're, there's always a certain number of people who are just sort of bad people in different ways or they're just negative or they're just going to make your life worse. You're not going to change them. You're probably not going to be in a position to deliver justice to them. You're not just don't engage them, get away from them and then go deal with people who aren't like that and you know i you know and, and if everybody did that and they were completely isolated they would change their behavior but you know i don't know that's why my that's my modus operandi is it just like when i run into people who i think are just sort of not good people i'm like i just won't interact with you right right anyway okay so any tech any tech um other tech stuff that you had set up Let's see. So I got a variety of uh, topics. So a couple uh, things here. One was um, there was an article by Matt Cutts. I guess he's like one of the big sort of anti. He's the Google guy at Google. Yeah, he about he sort of fights the SEO spam. Well, he, he works for Google. Like so, yeah. so he's like you know you you check out the Matt Cutts blog when you know what Google when you want to know what Google really thinks about SEO. Yeah, so I guess they've allowed him to be sort of a um, a casual. Um, informal voice for what's mm-hmm. really going on, and um, he uh, he gave, he wrote an article called "Dashes versus Underscores," and whether you know when you talk about this SEO slug, so like you know when you write yeah, yeah. Um, for people who don't know what an SEO slug is, it's so let's say your WordPress blog rather than saying page you know ID equals thirty seven. <laughs> You know that's your that's your URL that defines that blog post. You would actually you know my dash title dash of dash this you know post or something, right? So mm-hmm. it's just it just creates some kind of like human readable identifier for the the page, and oftentimes it's some sort of um, you know transformation of your your uh, page's title, right? And the question is, should you use because you can't have spaces? So the question is, should you make use underscores between words or dashes. And, you know, you'll go on different sites and you'll see, you know, some will be one way and some will be the other. And he says that that should be dashes because um, a lot of times, like in, you know, underscores can be parts of words, especially when you look like error messages or, um, you know, uh, constants that are defined for, you know, certain programming languages. So I would have thought it should be dashes just because they look nicer. They do look nicer. I think they look nicer too. So I was happy to hear that because that's kind of what I was leaning towards anyway for 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 my stuff. But um, but you know underscores are tend to be parts of uh, of actual words or identified. But does it does it actually make any difference to the search rankings whether it's dashes? I think or it does, yeah, it does. It helps. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I think it helps. Oh, I I said interesting twice. Say it you two didn't more. Catch me. You didn't catch me. 
Oh well. Okay. Uh, next thing. So one thing we we're talking about for Anyfu was um you know that finding a uh, getting a logo designed. And oh, oh, get get ready for some flames. Yeah. Uh, well, whatever. You know? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> it's like I'm not telling anybody else they should do this. This is what we're going. So I want to um. Uh, you know, I want to get a, a decent logo designed. Um, but uh, you know. Uh, the question is, how do you get a logo designed, and do you just get try and get the designer who's going to be your web, you know, designer do the logo? But I'm kind of a believer that you want to get specialists if you can for things like that. So if you want to get if you go to knee operation, you don't go to your normal, you know, general practitioner. You go to a, a guy who specializes in in knee reconstruction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think since it's logo, there are designers who specialize in logo and you go to their website and they'll have a portfolio of 50 or a hundred really nice logos that have designed for, you know, major clients and or major brands and they become specials. They're really good at, it. they really understand the logo process. It's not like, Oh, I've designed a handful of logos when I've needed to. It's like, that's, I don't think that's what you want. I think you're going to get a much better logo. And I was a little worried though, that it was going to cost a fortune. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've sort of discovered, I, I went and I, and, I, and I was searching on the web, and there's one guy who I think would be uh, um, amazing. I think his, uh, his name's, uh, let's see here, I have it right here. It's uh, David Airy. He, he wrote a book on, on logo design, and yeah. he would be pretty expensive. He would be at least like $5,000, but he is like, he's the shit. <laughs> he's yeah. awesome. But there were a lot of others that were looked like they would still be very good. And it seemed like we might be able to get something done between, you know, between maybe a thousand and 1500, you know, on the low end. Like, yeah, we, that sounds all right. Which is not bad. You know, maybe, maybe we have to spend a couple thousand at most, but I think we could get away with somewhere between 500 to a thousand a piece and get a really nice logo designed. Um, you know, if we can get it on the, on the lower end, then, you know, maybe that's it's so far away from lean startup though. That's, that's It's funny how you kind of have this tendency to, to drift away from the, the lean startup. Well, I've concept. never been a huge, I've never been a huge fan of it. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a, a member of that cult. And, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, I know everybody else is, but I think it can work in a lot of ways. I think if you're testing your idea and getting some research, but I, I think it's overdone. It's kind of like um, test-driven development stuff. Like things get so um, over, people overcorrect and everything's But it's pretty leak. proven. I mean, it's pretty proven way to make money to basically, it's, it's that whole thing of, um, that I just heard Derek Sivers talking about it on Andrew Warner's podcast. So basically the, the, the parable of basically a uni- new universities being built or what, what do you call them? You call them a college, right? New college universities being built in the US. And in the middle of it, they have this grass and they have this debate. Okay, where should we put the path on this grass? And one professor comes and says, well, look, you know, don't, let's not decide now. Let's just have the university for a year and see where people walk and wherever it's most worn, that's where we should put the path. And that's kind of what the whole lean startup's about, right? So I don't know if that's such a bad well, that thing. That doesn't prove anything. An anecdote like that doesn't prove anything. It's really hard to prove it. You can just say it makes sense. You can make an argument for it and you can say people have had success and you can show failures of people who've spent, invested a huge amount of time building something and not understanding the market. But um, there are a lot of examples, I think, of things where, you know, they didn't throw something out there in two weeks. I mean, I don't know. Let's take a look. I just pull some of the hat like Stack Overflow, right? I mean, they worked on that for a few months. They had to kind of get the user experience right before they opened it up. Okay, but Stack Overflow is so different. It's it's no, obviously so, no, a funded. It's obviously a funded no, kind of funded. thing, right? It wasn't funded. Well, it but it was it was funded by them. 
I mean, they, they had a, a significantly deep pockets to get well, going all, with that. Okay, you know, they, no, I mean, it, it really wasn't. I mean, it was um, Jeff Atwood was building on his own. He had to save money. He was just working on his own. I mean, he, isn't, he wasn't rich. He had a blog that made him some money. It was just like, you know, you living off Plugio and kind of working on something at your time. And they worked on that for a few months before they released it. I mean, they talked about it and stuff, but they had an idea of how it should work. He and Joel talked about, like, this is how we think a, you build a community, and this is how we think these are your experience. They didn't just build something a weekend and release it. Hey, guys, what does everybody think? You know, because everybody thought it looks like crap. Nobody cares. You know, it really depends. Because a lot of times, whether something's going to work depends on what the user experience is. It's not just... Because here's this other thing that it sort of goes against, right? It's like the idea of like, is it the idea or is it the execution, right? And it's, yeah. it's kind of both because something that you roll out there in a week or two is executed like crap, right? It's just going to be, it's just, and, and it may, the idea may be right, but, or may have, may have real potential, but you've executed it so poorly or in such a limited way that nobody really gets it or can really use it, really experience it the way that you're experiencing, that you are imagining. And so then you get this feedback that nobody cares and you think, well, the idea was just bad. Well, it turns out the idea wasn't bad. It's just like, well, you did, you know, you know, a half-assed version. So if, 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 if George, well, that's Lucas- why you iterate, that's why you iterate. So then in a week's time, you've iterated and you've iterated and then you've, you've turned something from that was released in a month in a half-assed way to three months and it's executed in a really good way. I mean, I, I get that. I, I mean, I know that's the, the story, right? But what happens a lot of time is that you, you, you release this piece of crap, right? Nobody cares and you don't get any positive feedback for a month or two because it's still crappy because you're because you, you know, only have so much time to work on it. And you're like, oh, I guess nobody cares. And I think that's that's see, that's the the risk. I mean, I think, right, a lot of people will fail on the other side where they work on something for, you know, years and they don't release it and they don't get any feedback and that fails. And you probably that's probably a more dangerous error than releasing something too early. And I know that's why they suggest doing that is because, you know, uh, it's just it's just a it's just a lower risk, right? Like so, if you if you have, a, if you have something that's a cool idea, you spend two weeks on it, you release it, nobody cares. You iterate on it for you know another week, four weeks is still not very good. Nobody. Well, you, well, you know what that may, what that makes me think is like, it's even more more kind of reason that mockups are great because you before you start building anything, you do your mockups and you iterate by showing it to people. So you go through some, you go through a number of iterations even before you've built anything. Yeah, and so and, and that's true. So I, and I, I think I think Jason Fried had it right when he talked about a thirty-seven signals is don't release half a product, not a half-ass product. And I think right. the MVP a lot of times people leave, it, it gives people the sort of this permission to release half-ass products, release crap and iterate, and we'll let the 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 market tell us where we are. It's like you know Steve Jobs doesn't do that, you know, and, um, you know, and I know, you know, you say, well, he's an exception. I don't know. I mean, I think sometimes what you want to do well, is... some people would argue that Steve Jobs does that. I mean, I remember Guy Kawasaki, is it? Mm-hmm. Is that his name? Yeah. That, that, isn't that one of the things he said? I mean, Apple would always release stuff that they're embarrassed about. You know, that's, in fact, oh. if they weren't, if they weren't embarrassed about it, then they, they wouldn't release it. No, he, I mean, he says it, but not about Apple. He calls it that don't worry, be crappy, but yeah. he's, but he, they'll release um, products that have that might not have everything done, but what they do have is pretty polished. I mean, okay. what is released is pretty done, and and that's kind of what Jason Fried has said of Thirty Seven Signals, which I think is right. Which is, you know, you you release something that has a crappy design, and the user experience kind of blows, and nobody really gets it. You know, they're like this, you know, and then you're just going to mis misinterpret the feedback is just thinking the idea is 
you, the market is wrong and it turns out that the user experience or the product experience sucks. Well, so you, you would be following that like 100% because what we'd, we'd then, then we would be taking that Apple approach 100% because what we're doing is we're getting an extremely polished logo for 1500 and we're putting that on our app and then that's like one small part, but it's very, very polished. And our design is going to be very, very polished, but our product isn't going to be the fully rounded product. Yeah, well, I, yeah, what I want is the design, the user experience to be beautiful. And, and maybe it won't do everything. Like you were, you were talking about like, well, you know, we got to do the user experience where someone, it's not that they look for an expert and then they contact them about setting up a session, but they do a search like, I need help. Can someone respond? I'm like, you know, that's, that's later, <laughs> you know, if ever. Right? Job, I mean, job posting, is it? Do you mean? Yeah, job posting. I mean, you know, that might even be, that. that's, that's not even at the core. I mean, put that off. And like you, you were, you were had a couple of different ideas. I'm like, let's later, later, right? It's not like I'm like, we need to build everything now, but the core experience of like finding an expert, interacting with them, getting an invoice paid and writing a review, that has to be stellar. I mean, that has to be beautiful and simple and clean. And people have to look at it and go, yes, this is how this needs to work. That's what we need. Because here's the reason why I think it's important. Okay. Um, I mean, I think the whole MVP stuff and how it's applied, it really depends on the product and the market. You can't, otherwise it's cargo cultism. Like you always do MVP or you always do this or always do that. It's like you don't always do anything. You know, just think about what you're trying to do, what makes sense with your resources, your market, your product, et cetera, and apply them intelligently. And for us, so what we're going to do is we're going to contact, get into contact with a couple hundred experts, somewhere in that, in that range, right? We're going to identify experts in, in different technical areas and, and try and get them to create profiles on um, any foo, right? Now, those people are going to be busy. They have other things going on. And if they, we show them a link to this half-ass, undesigned, crap website, you know what they're going to do? Nothing. They're not going to engage with it because they're not going to care. They're like, this is some other, someone's stupid weekend project. I got other stuff, fresh to fry. I don't have time for this crap. That's what's going to happen. And then you and I are going to send out 200 emails and we're going to get like seven profiles created and then we're going to think, oh, now what do we do? See, this is where the podcast gets boring because I basically agree with you. <laughs> so let's yeah. move on. So anyway, so anyway that's, that's, that's why I think we, you know, we spend a little more time on that design than you might other products. Now, there are other products where, you know, you don't have to have a good design probably and it may not make that much difference. But for what we're trying to do, I think it's worth putting a little bit of um, time. And I'm just, you know, one thing I'll just say is I'm a believer if, you're worth, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And I think right. this idea, we've, it's not like this is an idea. I'm, it's not, we're like one or two people sitting alone. We haven't talked to anybody about it. We haven't validated it. I mean, we've talked to dozens and dozens of people. I know I've talked to personally, even outside of the conversations you've had, you and I, I, and I have had together with people about it and they're all excited about it. they get it and they want to do it and they're like yeah that world of work i can't wait to use it both as a user and as an expert so mm-hmm. i think um and not that that is complete validation but i think we're on to something that it's worth just building the core thing and doing it right that's then executing it well that's all all right so have you got any other anything else tech i got a lot tech let's okay see. great um uh let's see um you know, one thing I was going to uh, ask you about is, um, you know, we talked about this a little bit in, in the past was the idea of, of, of full text search. Oh, yeah. Have you used any of those um, engines outside of MySQL like Lucene or Sphinx or Solar? No, I haven't. But I, I know that Lucene, I mean, at this stage, it's kind of like almost 10 years old, isn't it? So it would be, be a pretty robust product, I could imagine. 
Yeah, you know, and and I, I was looking at Sphinx. Um, you know, I'm I need full text search for this one client, and you know, the reality is now here's the point where I would go more in the MVP approach, which is like, you know, full text search within MySQL works fine, right? You're not you're not Craigslist, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not like you know, your, the, your product's existence for the first six months or year, even if it's successful, is, is going to have full-text search problems. Like, oh, I got to go install this crap. It's just, you know, just... I, I, my experience is that setting up, um, full, uh, setting up full-text search within MySQL just, you know, out of the, out of the box works pretty well. It's funny know? that you mentioned Craigslist because, I, because Craigslist, I think, is just about the only site with search where actually you could use MySQL out of the box and it would be fine. Because basically well, they, it's just based on date, right? It's just based on date and keyword matches. But most most full text search, they're looking for some kind of relevance. Mm-hmm. And that is where the MySQL one falls short. It does have relevance, but it doesn't have relevance split up on your different article sections. Like normally you want to make your title a lot more relevant than your body kind of thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, but you can do that. I mean, you can do... Um I came the term for it called when you like you you give like a, a a weighting like a scalar weighting to a different fields. So you can do that. It's not oh, can you that big a deal? Yeah, I mean you can. Yeah, sure. So I, I, I'm I'm almost positive you can do that. And then, um, yeah, you can. I can remember that there's another some more terminology for it, but you can do that. Um, well, so if you, you can, can do that, then why would you need why would you need Lucene or anything else? I mean, that's great. Well, I think those things have are there. I think they're even faster and they're even more configurable and um, they're more robust. I think, so, like, if you want to use see full text search, only works within my SAM tables, not within ODB. And oh, right. A lot of people want to use NODB because of transactions and role level locking and, and different things like that. Um, sites that are, uh, actions that are insert heavy, um, NODB can work better with because of role level locking. But that said, again, I think for, for smaller, you know, our newer sites, not for smaller sites, because all sites can become big, but when they start out, my ISAM will be fine. You don't have that problem. And, you know, it's like people think, oh, this is a big deal. It's, it's not. I mean, you can rewrite it, you know, later if it becomes a big deal. But it's like, you know, I, I was thinking it's like Sphinx and Solar and all stuff looks really cool. But yet, you, then you have to make sure that you have, you have to get in and install it and configure it. It's just more work. than. So get, what's your plan going to be for that client then? I'm just, you know, I'm just using the, the My Sam full text search. And um, I'm not going to, you know, go nuts and create this, use an external search engine until necessary right that's where i'm doing the mvp we don't need it yet <laughs> you have no you have zero users <laughs> why do we need this you know industrial scale uh search engine you know it's just kind of so but uh, but it is nice to know that it's available so that like let's say this one client that i'm working with let's say it's six months or a year or a year and a half later and it just starts taking off and all of a sudden you have a ton of users and it becomes an issue it's like well you know okay we'll just We'll uh, migrate it to you know Sphinx or Solar, but they do look pretty cool if you if you get to that level. I think. Hmm. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, um, no, that is cool. Nice. Um, see how I said that's cool rather than that's interesting. Yeah, cool. I like how you mix it up there. It's, it's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Have you heard of Ringo JS? Nope. So Ringo JS is another server side um, JavaScript engine like no like Node. Um, so Node is built on top of uh, V8, which is uh, the Google's JavaScript engine that's in, that was built for um, Chrome. Yeah. Um, Ringo JS, I guess, is built on top of the um, what's it, the Mozilla uh, 
Mozilla JavaScript engine, whatever. Oh, Trace Spider Monkey. Monkey. Spider Monkey, Trace Monkey. They can, they always rename it. <laughs> it's like I always right. mix up because then like the the the, the engine for Safari is like Squirrelfish. I, I don't know. So um, anyway, the interesting thing about Ringo JS, I think I, I, there's a couple of posts that came up about it. Um, on Hacker News, and that the memory, like the memory footprint, it actually works a little better, and uh, they get scales better with uh, in certain ways. So it's, but even though the V8 engine's faster, but one thing that's interesting about Ringo JS is that you can write synchronous. It's it it, it does, it's multi-threaded. It's not single-threaded. So you you can you can write your JavaScript like you would be writing your your standard, uh, you know, say PHP page, right? You don't have to worry about everything being non-blocking. So like if you're doing, if you're serving up a page in PHP and you hit the database, I mean, you're blocking, right? That, that request is blocking. Nothing else can happen on that. And if it's a single threaded engine, then every client is blocked. <laughs> well, this one client is pulling something from a database. So in Node.js, you have to write everything asynchronously and do a callback. So like, hey, you know, pull something out of this database, give me a callback and let me know when it's done and then I'll continue doing something, right? Isn't that better though? Well, it, 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 it creates it, – it, I think it works better in certain instances. So, for instance, the stuff that we did with, um, with Uber, I mean, it, it was great. But it is much more complicated. Uh, it's, it's harder to program asynchronous code. Um, it's harder to follow the flow of logic and to get all your bases covered. I mean, it's, just, it's not like things – you look at the page and you just kind of walk down linearly on your, you know, like through your code. This happens, this happens, this happens, loop, if, then. You know, it's like the control flow is pretty obvious. But, but isn't that but, why it scales? Because it's asynchronous. Well, you can make things scale asynchronously or synchronously. So, um, you know, multi-threaded code can, can work great. It's just harder to code well, and it's harder to... Um, it's just it's, it's harder to write multi-threaded code. Let's put it right, that way. Right. It's just harder to do because it's easy for things to blow up. You have memory corruptions and, and all kind of problems. I got to admit, I'm fairly hungry on this diet you've got me on. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I um I pointed you to a uh, an article I read. I'm trying to remember what what the title of the article was, but it was essentially like how you can cure diabetes by going on this eight week sort of starvation diet. Yeah. Right? 600, 600 calories a day for eight weeks. Wow. And I guess the, 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 the gist of the article was that what they learned is that um, so when people, when people get diabetes and things, a lot of times what happens, the reason is because their liver, is that right? Their liver is, is taking on too much fat. Yeah. So you've got, right? fat, you've got fatty liver and fatty pancreas, basically. Right. Because just like, you know, when you, when anyone puts on weight, your body stores it in various locations and it's different for everybody. You know, some people store it more around the midsection. Some people it's like distributed more in their body. And I think you'll see some people put on weight and they won't get diabetes or anything like that. And other people will put on not nearly as much weight. I mean, put on 50 pounds as opposed to 200 pounds and then they get diabetes. And I think it's because their bodies are just more prone to store that, some of that fat in their pancreas and liver. And the, what this study, I I, I guess what they figured out was that when people would go on these sort of extreme diets that their their livers and pancreas sort of get rid of a lot of the fat really quickly. So not only we, in the eight weeks, a lot of people lose around about 30 pounds, but they also, you know, got rid of they their become, diabetes. They literally become cured of diabetes. And then six months later, I think it was like 70% of them still were cured of diabetes. They were still in, still producing, you know, the correct insulin. Which is kind of crazy. Yeah, and most of them had lost, kept most of the weight off too. Yeah, and and the thing is, like, 
the, the reason why I decided to do it, obviously, was because I was pretty inspired by seeing, you know, my dad dead in a coffin, right? Yeah, that'll, uh, that'll you know, get your attention, I guess, right? People don't take care of themselves and you see what happens. Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm like day two of it. And I've got to admit, I mean, I'm pretty hungry right now on day mm-hmm. two. Yeah, but um, it's, it's that it was fr- from the from the article. They they weren't exactly very specific. What they said was, they said that the people who were on the diet were, were drinking three shakes a day, and but that the shakes were providing most of the 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 kind of core nutrition that they needed, like the vitamins and minerals, and that then they were drinking as many they were eating as many kind of um, non-starchy vegetables as they wanted, like lettuce and cucumber and you know broccoli, that kind of stuff. Right. So that's what I'm doing. Oh, I, I'm anxious to see how this goes. I think we, I think we should call it like bluff fat casting instead of podcasting. Oh, because <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm actually gonna, I'm actually, uh, you know, on a kind of, you know, lose weight plan myself. So. Oh, you, you should be because you're just so fat. <laughs> well, I got on the scale uh, after uh, the fourth, and I was a hair's breadth away from 200 pounds. as 199.8. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. So <laughs> it's not it's bad. Not, I mean, what, like Jesus, I mean, I'm, I'm what, two, three, five, but you're, you, isn't it okay for you to be 200? If you kind of, I mean, I mean, I'm, if you looked at me, I like, I'm, you know, like, no, wait, I'm not, I want to get back to where I was, uh, fit, athlete, in a sort of athletic fit where right. I'm back where, you know, 31 inch waist kind of thing. So, yeah. I, I don't know if I'll get back to a, a, a six pack like I had in college, but I want to get close. <laughs> Oh, God. You know, it, 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 it kind of it, what really struck me was not only seeing 199.8, but then Colby, my six year old son, he I was I had my shirt off. While I was getting out of the shower or something. And he's like, Dad, you need to work out your stomach. I was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> your six year old son said that. Well, when a six year old, when a six year old tells you something like that, I mean, they're just speaking truth, right? I mean, they don't yeah. they have no tact. They don't worry about they don't really quite understand feelings. So they just say truth. So he's but not, how does he even know what a worked out stomach is like? I don't know. I mean, he he knows. I mean, I I mean, you could just I don't know. <laughs> he could tell mine wasn't right. <laughs> I guess. But I, I mean, it's not like I guess. I mean, that's not like I need to lose a ton of weight. But I'm 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 going to shoot for 180. If I can get down to 180, I I will I will be that would be. So means I could lose about 20 pounds. Okay. I'll, I'll be back and fighting shape. My fighting weight. Look, good luck with it. If I could get to 180, I'll be pretty happy. So I'm going to shoot. So for, I'm, I'm, my goal is to lose between a, a, a one and a half and two pounds a week. Um, so let's see if next week, if I get down to uh, say about 197, 196 and a half, that's my goal. So see if I make it. Now you don't, you're not on a specific weight loss. You're just following the calorie thing. You're going to get there anyway. You're gonna Whatever lose, happens, happens. You're going to lose more weight than me. That's for sure. I'm, I'm just interested in um, can, it, can this, the whole diabetes thing be cured? If it can, I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. I'm telling you. Can be amazing. Yeah. Well. Well. What we also we already have some evidence that it affected you because you did go on a on a on a, on a diet of sorts and were working out and you got your insulin levels and everything way down. You didn't have to take medication, right? Your doctor was shocked by that. that yeah, but I'm. I, but I, that was basically like an Atkins kind of diet. Um, but I don't know. Anyway, I, I'm thinking we're sticking on this too long. Let's get back to tech. Let's, and also the other thing is. We've we I think we've done our time. <laughs> we've, done, so, we've done the time. Okay, we've we done the time. Yeah. Close with something tech though. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Let's see here. What do I want to bring up? I got a bunch of little things. Well, you know, thing I bring up was kind of interesting. So, um, there was an article that says, uh, titled "Biz Stone Steps Back from Twitter to Relaunch Obvious" with Ev Williams and Jason Goldman. So, it's interesting that they have something like Twitter 
And they're all like, okay, well, we've done Twitter for five or six years and we're just going to go and, and start from scratch and, and, and do something different. You know, whereas like, you know, um, you don't see Mark Zuckerberg going, oh, you know, I've had enough Facebook yeah. or you didn't see, you know, Bill Gates after five years of Microsoft say, oh, I'm going to go start something small. And it's kind of interesting that you see that because also um, Kevin Rose did the same thing. He walked away from Dig and he's, you know, had, just wants to start this. I guess he raised a little bit of money and they're going to have this like six person sort of incubator where they're just going to create cool new stuff, which is exactly what they're doing here. Yeah. Now I'm trying to think of how I can say that without saying that I would. Um <clears throat> That is <laughs> that is intriguing. <laughs> it makes me think. It makes, um, and I guess I guess what it makes me think is is that there are different types of entrepreneurs in the world. You know, there's there's the kind of hedgehogs and the foxes, and I think these guys are foxes, and that's it. They just want to they want to explain that analogy again because I always forget what you mean by that. Okay, a hedgehog is someone who who knows one thing and does one thing really well, right? Okay. So a hedgehog basically has this this one defense mechanism. This is how it survives. It curls up into a little ball, and it's very difficult to eat a hedgehog because you're going to get a spike in the face. And that's basically its whole strategy, curl up into a little ball, right? Okay. Whereas a fox, to survive, has loads of tactics. It'll kind of dart under the bushes, and it'll hide, and it'll squirrel away food and do all sorts of things to survive. And so basically, those are the two different kind of entrepreneurial types, I think. And, um, you know, Bill Gates is, <laughs> is a hedgehog, <laughs> and these guys are obviously foxes, so... You know, I think that's good. And I think I'm probably more, both yourself and myself are a little bit more like foxes. We, yeah. We like, we like doing lots of, lots of things. Yeah. I, 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 I have a feeling I, if, even if I had a success after a certain number of years, I might want to do something, start something new. Um, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think some, some entrepreneurs are maybe more comfortable building a larger company. I mean, assuming they become successful, that they can, that they can adapt, not only adapt and do a decent job of it, but actually just enjoy it. Their role, mm. you know, like I, they have hundreds or thousands of people, like Sergi and and Larry and Sergi. You know, they didn't step down; that they're still running Google. I mean, they didn't go, oh, let's, we're going to start something new. You know, but it's a very different experience. I don't know if it would be as fun, you know, managing those hundreds of thousands or twenty thousand people or whatever, as it is just when you're like ten people with with whiteboards. I think that may be more fun. Yeah, me. I mean, if you, if you're the kind of person, like, if you want to be a general and you have an army that you command, I mean, some, I mean, I imagine there's a certain amount of fun in that, and there's also being like a command part of a commando team. You know, you have ten super highly trained, talented people, and you can do amazing <laughs> things with these ten, you know, five or ten or twenty people. And uh, yeah, it probably comes down to just personal preference and 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 what you're happy doing. I mean, I, I remember we talked to Kevin O'Connor from from Find the Best. Yeah, and said, and we asked him why he uh, stepped down from DoubleClick. And he said that, you know, it, when you get to that size, you just spend all your time meeting with like accountants and lawyers and media. And you just, you're not really doing product development and you're doing the fun stuff anymore. But I don't know, but, you know, and I guess it could be different in every case because, you know, Steve Jobs, it sounds like he spent a lot of time, he did have his hands on the product development. So I don't know. I mean, maybe it comes down to how you architect your position within the company. I mean, I think certain um, CEOs, might have a situation where they have other people who do spend a lot of time speaking to the media and, and doing things like that. So they don't have to, and they can spend more time on the product or they have really good COO COOs who are kind of like the drill sergeants of the company. And they're the ones who deal with lots of the people issues and lots of the management issues so that they're a little insulated from that. Um, I don't know. I guess it depends. If I was one of those guys like Biz Stone and, I, and, and Twitter was out there and I had the ability to put my hands on billions of dollars, I don't, I don't know where they've got that ability now, but let's just say that I did. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of think that I probably wouldn't even stay in tech anymore. I just think I would 
my life would take on a completely different meaning, you know. What, would, that, what do you mean? What would you do? I, I, I think I would just start focusing on um, just philanthropy, you know, 100%. The, the, if you, what, so, if you, so if you made a lot of money, you would just focus on giving it away? I would focus on not, not giving it away, but focus on building systems um, and businesses that could create more money for those philanthropic efforts. I mean, that's, I think that's what I would do. I would try and do something like that. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, you know, it's kind of interesting because I guess well, well, Bill Gates did that eventually, you know. But he, yeah, that's that's exactly what he did. Yeah, but he, you know, a lot of these guys will wait till later in their life to do that. They want to build more in the building phase, and then later on they spend their time giving it away. Of course, I don't know Warren Buffett. I mean, he's old. <laughs> he's still mostly in the building phase, although he's um, essentially uh, uh, already allocated his wealth after he dies to uh, to Bill Gates Foundation. So to Bill Gates Foundation. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think like ninety five percent of it's going to the Gates Foundation. Yeah, because Bill Gates and Warren Buffett are, are are good buddies. They play play bridge together and stuff like that. And I think that uh, Buffett is pretty convinced that Gates is he really knows what he's doing in terms of you know philanthropy. And so, well, then that's where I that's what I do with my money. My so then, billions. And then you could just then you can make your billions and and still build it. And then when you're when you die, you can just. Bequeath it lessons to, for Justin's billions for your yeah for your hundred million wow it's amazing went from a hundred million to billions in one week yeah well <laughs> you know what I, I one thing I really hope is that that foo is kind of the realization of of what we both really want you know the way of us just earning enough money to um, do our own thing that would be just a dream come true for me I really hope that it turns into that be nice well you know Plugio is still chugging along right I mean that's oh not yeah yeah Plugio is chugging along. Yeah, the little engine that could. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's once again, it's been really difficult because of being up on this contract to move that forward. But hopefully, after the twenty third, I can get back into it. And then, oh yeah, the other thing is, I'm it, there's a ninety nine point nine percent chance that I will be moving to Ireland. Um, wow, ninety nine point nine. It's very, very high, high percentage. Yeah, very high percentage. Just because of going back there, meeting all my friends, and I kind of miss it. And I think it'd be nice. And I, ha- I'm, I've got like a secret little thought of. Ireland could be an interesting place to take some of this tech startup knowledge that that we've we've. Um, uncovered Why would it make a difference? Tech. It's all sort of virtual anyway. Like most of our listeners, it started with people. <laughs> it is all virtual, but Ireland is like I just feel like of anywhere. If that knowledge was brought to Ireland, that could make a difference. You know. Well, how if is it not there, but it's on the web now? I mean, how is it like say less there than it says is in say Pasadena, California? You need. It's like it's like you said about startup guild. Like you need someone to. To kind of shepherd it, to make it happen. Well, like how would you shepherd it? What would you do? Oh, we were supposed to be ending the show. Now you can. Now you've brought well, me down. This. I mean, you just say this kind of vague <laughs> things, and I'm like, you these hand wavy things. I'm going to go to Ireland. I'm going to bring startup news to Ireland. No, well, no I'm just going to go to Ireland and work, and I just have like a, a like a bubbling idea in the back of my mind. So you're going to host a, a, a monthly meetup um, at a pub in Ireland. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. You, you <laughs> Just let me serious. Like, what are you gonna? I mean, what can you do? I mean, what can one man do? Until I don't you- know. I thought like it, Ireland could be a great place for something like a Y Combinator, um, but rather than a funded Y Combinator, a bootstrap Y Combinator. And I think you know, it was could- kind of interesting. I was thinking the same thing. Let's let's talk about this for just a minute, right? Yeah. I was actually had the same thought. Like instead of Y Combinator, he had like Open Combinator or something, C right. Combinator, and and. You, you do something like that, you kind of get a, like, you try and create, like, a class of startups, right? 
So you do it. So everybody starts together. And then every, you know, because kind of like how Startup Guild is, but Startup Guild is sort of freeform. Right? People are kind of working on things. They're not, or they're just kind of checking in. And people aren't really, but, you know, they're all at the same, in the same place. But if you had, everybody starts on this date. This is what everybody's project is. This is what they're working on. Every week you come together, maybe you have some kind of a, you know, like a webcast or a speaker. You have people on there who, you know, you get, you might have like maybe a dozen or half dozen uh, sort of um, advisors who are serving to give feedback to the different uh, startups. And I don't know, you could, I wonder if you could do an open. Well, I, I mean, the thing is like, it, the thing about Ireland is that their, their economy now is obviously pants, you know, it's, it's gone down the crapper like everywhere else. But I could imagine going to, because I've, I've seen Ireland do this, like they, they take on new ideas and they really embrace them. So I can mm-hmm. imagine going to the Irish government and getting a grant to start up something like Y Combinator, but that was really about bootstrapping. So rather than coming thinking of these big ideas, it was about thinking about small ideas and getting Irish people to build those kind of subscription-based websites, those kind of things. And the good thing about it is that it's global money coming into Ireland, you know? Well, see, the re- so that way you're not really bootstrapping. You're essentially you're still you're raising money, whether you're doing through Gantt or investment. You're, you're, you're so, still- yeah, you, yeah. You you kind of are raising money, and you're 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 kind of deciding to give those money to people. But the 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 ideas are, I would kind of scale down smaller ideas, build a successful small micro idea, and then you can kind of upgrade to a medium sized idea, and then you can upgrade to a bigger idea. But who knows? Some of those micro ideas might turn into big ideas in their own right. I mean, I why don't do they I was have just, to be micro ideas? I mean, I wonder why. I mean, if if if, if you well, didn't, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because I'll tell you why. Because they need they need to be profitable. Like it needs to be about building profitable ideas, in my opinion. But to to make it useful, Ra- rather than the kind of you know the I think the impression I get from Y Combinator is it's not so much about building profitable ideas. It's about building ideas that can then go on and get new investment, larger investment, bigger investment different rounds of investment and eventually scale into something massive. Whereas what I'm thinking is build things that can be profitable and get money coming into you from the word go. Yeah, I think they're a combination. I mean, he, Paul Graham talks a lot about um, becoming, getting to ramen profitable. Mm-hmm. So it's not that he's, he's always, he's advocating the Hail Mary that, Hey, we're not going to think about business model, but yeah, he does. He doesn't just like focus. Like that's the only thing that we focus on because they're built. A lot of them are consumer based applications. Yeah, Anytime exactly. you're consumer based, you, then you need scale to, to, for advertising or you need to, you need the scale to be, to be bought or whatever. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I would be interesting. It would be kind of a fun thing to try and do all of course i don't know why it would have to be in ireland i just don't get that i mean if you want to move to ireland move to ireland but i'm not sure sure the whole startup in ireland thing makes any difference but maybe, yeah. maybe it does maybe not so when, when would you move there um well i i'm think i'm definitely going to go there for a few months starting in december and that's uh, whether, a, whether i move there is and that's because you have a house there right i've got a house in the uk which i i, I want to sell but i'm definitely going to go the reason why i'm moving to ireland now is because that's where my sister is and I want to, and also my friends, and I'm just thinking of maybe just moving back there and hanging out with some friends for a few months at least. Oh, so you would just go and rent an apartment for a few months and just hang out? Just to start off with. And then maybe that might turn into something more. Right. Now, how does Georgie feel about it? Yeah, good. She likes the idea of going to Ireland? Yeah, she does. Yeah, good. And now, so your house is in London, but you're going to go to uh, Ireland. Yeah. Well, it's, now, it's, gonna be, it's still going to be much easier to, to deal with any house issues because... It's only a short plane hop away, you know. Right, right. Uh, how, how long is a plane flight from where you're? Oh, about 45 where... minutes. Okay, so it's like going to San Francisco. 
Yeah, nothing. Like that. It's very short. Right, right, right. Because you're going to try and sell that. That's the plan is to sell the house? Ultimately, yeah. Right. Huh, interesting. Well, you've been moving a lot, so I mean, I guess I wouldn't expect anything less. It's <laughs> <laughs> like every time I talk to you, you're living somewhere different, so... But maybe I'll miss, I mean, do you think that if I did go to Ireland that I would then miss the whole startup thing? Or do you think it would be exactly the same because it is so virtual? I don't think it makes a damn difference where you are, you know, yeah. to be honest with you. I mean, most of our interactions are all online. It's either through the podcast, I mean, people we talk to, we interview on yeah. Skype, who a lot of times they're in Europe or somewhere else, right? Or yeah. people commenting on the blog or on Startup Guild. I mean, they, you know, they doesn't, you know, they can be anywhere. And... The the only people that I see in person are uh, I see grab lunch once a week with Pat, and uh, you know, in every two or three weeks, maybe every few weeks, Curtis will come down in L.A. and he might work come here and work in my office here for a day or two. And that's it. Everything else, I mean, I don't even see when's the last time I saw you. Microconf. Yeah. Okay. That's right. So it's time for a quiz. Before that, it was like months. Right. Sweet. Okay. Well, Ireland it is. I'll be moved over by the end of the year. <laughs> Ireland it is. All right. That's a wrap. We're out. Son of a man Cause I'm the man of the sun Who's just a token With his crow's feet round his eyes His clock's right twice a day Because it's broken I used to think you were so infallible And nothing and no one could burst that bubble He's the only human Soldiers on the kitchen table
only human Whom I've known this Pride and shame